disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. It stops being about actual achievement and it starts being about who can cat litter the most, who can move the turds around until either the client is happy or the client leaves and then someone gets fired. And it's really weird. Thought leadership, influencers, buzzwords, LinkedIn speak, spraying and praying press releases, all best practices and habits of the public relations trade. And so much useless self-aggrandizing bullshattery, according to today's guest, presenting Fire Your Publicist. Stay with us. Full disclosure is made possible by our friends at Elwood Thompson's, the best market in Virginia, at the very top of Carytown, Indian Wednesdays, that delectable breakfast bar, make your own sandwich, the Beat Cafe. You know I love them. You know I practice what I preach because I am there almost every day. I got to tell you, you must try the vegan chocolate chip cookie. I'm not a vegan, but uh, I like to indulge in these these other things every now and then to expand my horizons and uh, as well as the vegan biscuit, which, which goes really well with cold brew coffee, which I just pounded and you can feel it in my spastic voice. At any rate, visit them at the top of Carytown at the corner of Elwood and Thompson Street, hence the name, and at elwoodthompsons.com. Joining us from San Francisco is Ed Zitron, the unusually thoughtful PR exec behind the book Here in My Hands, Fire Your Publicist, the PR and publicity secrets that will make you and your business famous. You've seen his column in Inc., Forbes. He's all over the Twitters. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Let me, let me ask you, um, let's by, by way of kind of backwards engineering, how did I meet you? I, I mean, you never sent me. You never. Here's the deal: if we think back to it, you never shot me a press release. You never asked me to have you on the show. Um, I think you've chummed the waters sufficiently on Twitter and in your presence for me to realize, like, you're kind of a voice that I'm really interested in, an iconoclast in a sector that you know we journalists have a, a huge love hate relationship with. Yeah, I think you found me because, like many people, kind of like tripping over in the woods. You found my account, and when your face planted in the dirt, you found me with the rest of the slugs in the ground. And yeah, that's really it. Most people just randomly find me because I'll get retweeted by a journalist for saying something like, Apple look like a fam. No, that's not really what I do, but I'll make really bad jokes or something, and I don't put a terribly large amount of thought into all... 10,000 of the tweets I make a day. So, yeah, you probably just found me at random just through osmosis, just existing in I think, Twitter. I think what stands out is PR people, the ones that I've interacted with, are intensely uh, measured and un sometimes needlessly self-aware. They walk on eggshells too much. At times, it, it kind of blows back. They end up using a jargon and a PR boilerplate speak that makes the, the everyday person kind of, you know, their eyes glaze over. Like, I'm not talking to a human. I'm talking to an... Automatroid. So my mate Phil once put this really well. He, he referred to them as facsimile people. It's a very safe way of living. It's a way where you can just play it safe with almost everything you say. But then you end up sounding identical to other people. You sound like you were photocopied. And it's really weird. I just don't understand because these people, the one thing that they also always say, which I always laugh at, is I love people. Have you met people? They're terrible. But I'm not saying everyone's awful so much, but by and large, people are not great. Mediocre. Then I would say most people are just right in the middle. 
So you don't really love people. It's like saying you love, I don't know, air. It's not like well, you always have good quality air, but you need it, I guess. Don't really need people, you know, you, I suppose. You, if you're a PR person, especially these these poor PR assistants fresh out of college, I feel oh. for them, especially in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. You know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they show up at these firms that just that just hit them like, you know, have you have you done this? Have you sent a follow-up? Have you you deal with rejection? So much, and I've become much more mindful about how I write back to people who follow up or end up getting my my phone call. Like if I didn't answer your press release, and by the way, you're contacting a, a, a you know, I was for a long time a Wall Street writer, and you're trying to you know sell me on the merits of uh, alpaca methane capture in Peru. <laughs> I mean, at least do no, honestly, at least do the homework to say that this is a new frontier. It's an alternative asset that commodities-driven people are realizing in a carbon-constrained world. But but instead they and, and as you know this is one of the cardinal sins you point out in your book fire your publicist which I loved and I asked you for so we'll get into kind of the method of that seduction um, at least at least make an effort to custom tailor it to to who you're sending it to sometimes we get press releases that say dear journalist or dear wrong name or they don't spell my name correctly and by the way I'm not I'm not the you know arch the, the Archduke of, of uh, Archduke Ferdinand or anything. I'm not royalty, but at, at no least have some either. bedside manner with a journalist, you know? Yeah, and it's really weird because I think what the issue there is, you touched on it a little bit, is they're told to pitch these people. And then they'll get this list and they'll get the person, they'll look at them. And maybe something in the back of their head where a conscience used to live will say to them, Oi, this is not the right person. This happens to me a lot. I'll put together a list. At the time, it will feel fine. Then when I get to actually pitching it, I'll go, ah, no, this isn't This isn't for them. This is rubbish. And I'll just not pitch them. But if you've got some feckless moron who's saying, you need to pitch this journalist, you need to do that. If you do not do that, you will be in so much trouble. Or you will. I will have to tell the client, because I'm not doing the work as the manager, you will have to tell, I will have to tell the client that I did not pitch that person, despite the fact that they're usually passing the work down. It, it, it rolls downhill in this case. And you know, you, you yeah. talk about passing the work down, and that's one of the big mega themes that struck me in this book. It's a kind of ginormous diffusion of responsibility. If you're the yeah. chief marketing officer, well, the CEO and then the chief marketing officer, and then within divisions, they have different publicity heads. Like you look at a company as sprawling as GE, which is in crisis right now, and yeah. you never knew which, which flack to kind of hit up. And then they collaborate, and they're measured, and there's a whole protocol. And I, I find that... Um, it, it's constantly kind of passing down the responsibility of impression uh, to the to, to maybe the weakest person in the entire system as a small associate level or college level person who I actually feel for who doesn't have their confidence doesn't have their script uh, doesn't necessarily have the the uh, the authority to leave the office and to talk to you and to kind of establish a rapport with you I just feel like a up and down the food chain, it's this enormous diffusion of responsibility, public relations. Well, we we spend $25,000 a month. Surely they're giving us something. There must be an implied IRR. And that's the weird thing as well. So you get these people who, well, they just kind of spam everyone and all that. But the idea of the relationship building, in my case, I was straight up in my first job not allowed to go out. It was really weird. I was not allowed to go out of the office to meet journalists. I'd suggest it, and they said, 
oh no, you can't do that. You can't. You you got to do agendas or whatever. Need a bloody agenda for the bloody for the bloody conversation with a client who we're going to lie to this week. And it's I can see the logic in the there is this really horrible cyclical thing that happens where manager craps on person below them. That person eventually gets up to the stage of the manager, doesn't want to do any work because they've been so exhausted, so the cycle continues again. The blame game continues again. And it stops being about actual achievement, and it starts being about who can cat litter the most, who can move the turds around until either the client is happy or the client leaves and then someone gets fired. And it's really weird because they think that the lack of autonomy and the blame that they put on people kind of gives them gives them a tough skin, and it does, but it also shuts them off emotionally and professionally because they don't actually turn into a real person. They just copy what they see as the person who is not getting fired. So they copy that person, who usually is a sycophant and not a particularly talented one at that, but their sociopathic way in which they've stuck like a barnacle to the company has allowed them to <laughs> stick <it>. around. <laughs> and they're horrible, these horrible people. And they're usually bloody terrible. They're absolute idiots. And Which is what I don't I don't understand in this. And we'll step back and get back into your yeah. career. But so many per- professional services industries have been wildly and violently disrupted over 10 years. You look at law firms, right? And the $400 an hour billable, uh, you know, white collar law firm on Wall Street or in Midtown Manhattan. And they, they increasingly the clients are like, I'm not going to pay you two, three, four hundred dollars an hour if you're going to stick me with an associate. So there's been this huge reckoning and associates getting fired and that whole leverage model of, you know, here I am, the, the the person with the expertise, the gray beard, and I can no longer delegate to young people. And I get the impression, I mean, look, it's happened to ad agencies. I certainly get the impression it's happened to PR firms, but by and large, you still have uh, the Fortune 500 sticking with these major uh, PR houses that are, you know, that, that, that kind of go with the same press release model. They do morph into, you know, let's give you a tier of, of social media representation or thought leadership. Let's get you LinkedIn essays that will be ghostwritten for you. It has not been nearly as, as violently disrupted as I would have imagined over the past 10 years. And that's because there are not really any hard and fast rules or hard and fast successes. There's also, I have found, not really the best understanding of what success looks like. So you'll get a client that will take a bigger age. I'll admit, I've lost a client or two to bigger agencies because they have quote-unquote full services. And they will have these big full services, very big, nasty full services, which just mean a lot of documents. These documents do not actually do anything other than the CMO can then take that to the CEO and say, well, look at all the stuff. Look at all the stuff I've done. Now, the CEO may then say, oh, cool. I, I, I'm i paying for stuff. I have things happening. My PR firm is doing things. And eventually they get bored of the fact they're getting no results. And then they'll say, well, we need a new PR firm. And sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, we want someone rugged and we want someone blunt and out there and results driven. And what terrifies me is results driven just means any results. It's truly terrifying. But I find disproportionately they're still interested in placement, say, I mean, the the, the gold ring 
the Brass Ring is a Today Show placement or in the New York Times or the Washington Post. They often bifurcated, well, are you going to get us a print mention? Uh, what do you think about the metrics today? Because, look, if you are shelling out anywhere from 5000 to $20,000 a month, the deliverables are problematic. I don't. It's always been, to me, to my mind, a squishy return on investment. How do you calculate? I mean, there's a lot of bullshattery even in those those metrics and impressions. And you're not wrong. And I mean, the truth is, you want results. You want to stay in the media because, and but you've kind of touched on the fact that they're kind of squishy because you can get coverage. And if you're looking for sales, most coverage won't do it. I had a client on the front page of the New York Times business section the other day. I don't think it drove them any sales. It drove them a ton of interest, though. And it now exists in the Google as a kind of brand statement. And that's the thing that is very hard to quantify. So when they meet with you, so when, when they see you with their quarterly review and they go back at that, I, I always feel like the onus PR people that I've dealt with are a lot of times they're terrified because... They're looked at as expendable if you're not getting what was in the CMO or CEOs or latest executives head in terms of impression and actionability, then we'll just right size the relationship with you or bring somebody else in. It'll be a bake off. Yeah, you're not totally wrong. What I've oftentimes seen is the CMO will use PR as the sacrificial lamb. They will say the PR team they messed up they are the reason we didn't make the targets they're expensive and they didn't do what they'd say now is that true hell no and that's the funny thing it's easy to sacrifice the pr firm and truthfully a lot of pr firms just genuinely do waste the money of the clients and it's sad but understandable but also yeah pr firms are they're expendable and they are the first to go, usually. But weirdly enough, the clients that I've seen succeed the most have kind of stuck around through the harder times because there is no linear path for press. Unless you are a company mm. with the stickiest product in the world, you are not going to always get press. You're not every day, definitely not every week, probably not. And it's tough to do. It is tough. And so you get this thing where because of that difficulty, you get the client saying, hey, this firm's doing a lot of stuff. Every month they do a lot of things. Which is like, okay, cool, they did a lot of things, but did they do anything actually of meaning? Did they drive traffic? Did they grow the brand's exposure? Did they set up relationships with reporters? Probably not. They probably just sent you a lot of documents. You felt good about the money you're spending because of all the documents. You have so many documents. You have a full Google Drive now. That's what your 15 grand a month got you, buddy. You got uh, all the Google Docs you could ever ask for. You have so many bloody documents that, like, it, it's just really, really sad. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Ed Zitron. He's the founder and CEO of EZPR. He's joining us from San Francisco on his super high quality microphone. The guy I have I have admiration for him as an audio person that he he comes uh, prepared for school. Uh, take me back, sir, to and, – and by the way, he's author of this book that I love, which is why I got in touch, Fire Your Publicist, the PR and publicity secrets that will make you and your business famous. Uh, sir – Tell us about your baptism by fire in PR when you started. I always kind of looked at you. I think I saw your byline in 
in gaming magazines in the early aughts. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I maybe I read you in in Forbes when it was kind of morphing from a you know legitimate publication to a collection of a lot of PR people, and and you were you were straddling the fence between the two. Um, when did you when did you start? When did you formally turn over to become a, a an entrepreneur in PR yourself? So what happened was very simple. I was bored of my life in England, so I just eventually went. I I want to go into something which seems good. So I moved into what was the wrong industry, where basically I was working for a PR agency that was more akin to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest than anything else. Uh, everyone every day was saying they were going to leave. It was actually really, really weird. Everyone was saying, I'm going to leave, I'm going to get out of here, just like the movie and the book. And, well, probably as dramatic as the movie, though. But anyway... I was there and it was truly awful. I should have been fired, but I don't think they knew how because I was on a visa. They were afraid that they would have to pay for my plane ticket. I'm not kidding. And <laughs> they kept me on and then I got good at media relations. I was not good at all the stuff around it and the document stuff always just seemed kind of stupid. So I went, you know what? Screw this. I'm moving on. And I found another agency that was games focused, which was fun. I enjoyed it. Wasn't permanent but it was good and then two years after that I kind of I had a horrible marriage I was in where all my money was being spent so yeah I ended up uh, starting out on my own because I literally had to so there I was and I basically had this firm which was just me and I was getting paid about three quarters of what most agencies were being paid and it was really stupid because people were like yeah this guy gets results and I just kept thinking really this is it? Turns out that is true. This is it. Just getting results is shocking. How did you get the foot in the door? Did you keep relations with clients? I mean, yeah. to start from scratch as an individual person, is it having beers with with journalists, with CEOs who are going off in the startup world? Startup world. And after all, you are living in a, an ultra-high cost area, an ultra-competitive area. I mean, you look at, at the jockeying that's done, for example, in the Bay Area to get time of day from, from Larry Ellison of Oracle, uh, the charm that some people put in, the, the, the maneuvering. I mean, it ain't easy. Well, it's because I didn't go for Larry Ellison. No, no one's going to get... No one's going to get his PR. He's already got a friend in PR who I won't name who has raised their, his or her agency entirely based on people he or she sure. went to school with. In my case, I had former clients who left the agency and then sometime after the legal requirement of the non-compete, which is also unenforceable in court, they came to me eventually and I started working with them after the legal requirement. <laughs> but in all seriousness, they came to me. People who knew me from my agency life kind of went, hey, this is good. This guy's cheaper and he can do exactly what he was doing before. The reason is, is that, honest to God, these people in PR agencies, the good ones are like miniature agencies inside an agency. And of course, you do see that turnover. You see people either get plucked by a client or by a competitor. And at some point when you, you – this is what I've heard anecdotally. It's not scientific. When you come out of that, that shell of self-loathing in your 20s and, and, and the abuse and passing the buck and spray and pray and don't leave the office, you're like, well, 
I learned what I can't do. I learned that I am, from a personality perspective, indispensable to certain people. I can go off and have my own billables. Yeah, and... Even, like I said, when they're in the agency, they're usually like an agency unto themselves. They hold the relationship very close. They have the client very immediately connected to them. And that's kind of the sad thing. Because what you see is usually these people, they are pushed. They are kind of crushed. You you oftentimes see the successful ones are given a boss who takes all their credit. So the actual value of the agency is not clearly displayed to the client. So it's a it's a really gross thing to do, actually. So credit is usually not going to be a fairly given thing. And they're all very dysfunctional because a lot of these PR CEOs, they got, they're not doing work anymore. They're just kind of collecting money and being a boss. And they even do really sickly things where they will fire and hire people at random rates. They will hire way too many people because they think that that's what a good business looks like. So they say, I need 10 or 15 people. If I'm not growing, I'm not good. Even though that's factually incorrect. They are oftentimes not happy just having a profitable business. They have to have 32 people. And that's what confused me and then allowed me to do my business with four people because you don't need that many people. You just hire... You don't hire someone just to do documents. That's a stupid, stupid idea. You hi- Or you hire one person to do all the documents. You don't get four low-level people to do the grunt work. Those people will... You are basically growing little people that will kill you. That will le- <laughs> They will learn to hate you. And It happens on Wall Street, too, I can tell you from experience. And it happens to paralegals. <laughs> happens to first-year straight out of law school people. It's very common. But so, you know, it is the, it is this chain of hazing that seems to happen. That it Look, it happened to me. I had to take my lumps, and I'm not going to... I'm amazed, broadly, and, and we step out of PR for a, a second, that uh, the huge return on investment that you could get out of making a young person feel invested and feel that their work is important and that they're not getting paid $30,000 a year and working 80 hours a week and, and taking on three roommates in a one bedroom for no reason altogether. Just the soft touch of taking them out to lunch or coffee and, 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 and telling them that, look, you're not, you're not a commodity. You're not a pawn. So few people do that. And the ill will that it engenders versus the potential goodwill or productivity that it could get. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I mean, I get asked a lot, or at least I get it just said at me. It's actually kind of rude when I think about it. People are just like, oh, you're full of hate. You hate the PR industry, and that's your bit. My bit is apparently that I just hate PR people. And is that untrue? I don't know. I don't know if I hate PR people. I weep for the industry. But let me ask these people something. I don't think they're listening, but... I always wonder why these people think I hate PR. They think that I don't hate PR and that I am actually a normal PR person who everyone would think is a normal guy in PR, which I am absolutely not, who's just this saccharine ass. And then they <laughs> get this person and they think, oh, my bit is that I hate on PR people, so people think I'm the anti-PR. I am the anti-PR by accident. But the reason I hate it is I grew up in it. I truly have seen both sides of this problem. I have been I have been really destructively hurt by people I've worked for. I have been 
truly abused by former bosses, by managers. I've seen them abuse other people, and I have grown to the point where I could have been the abuser, and I usually just yelled at the managers because I don't see why no one stands up for the little guy, I guess. So you've got this crop of younger people who are being brutally abused. It is abuse. When you just give them nothing, when you teach them to become half people, you are hurting them, you are doing damage. And then you've got these really weird CEOs, these brutal, psychopathic, ah, that's not even a psychological term, but truly mean-hearted people who they want the money without the work and then they blame everyone else and then they just want a quote-unquote business, they hurt clients, they hurt their people, and then they hurt journalists by proxy, by pushing. And these journalists basically don't have proper inboxes anymore. They just don't have it. They lost the autonomy of their inbox due to an entire industry. And now you have these bloody people, these idiots, who say, oh yeah, just spam them, call them. I have not called a reporter, cold-called them, in three or four years. There's one reporter at Inc. who has told me, Cole, call me, I know you. One guy. His name is Will. He's a great guy. But that is, when you think of how much damage it does, it's just, it's truly mind-boggling. It's disgusting, actually. Truly horrible. And yeah, that's why I'm angry. I was a reporter, I got spammed. I was a PR person, I got abused. And... I watched people abuse other people. I watched people take people's hard work and say it was theirs with absolutely... It was as if that other person didn't exist. It's not like they said, I actually hate our team. I think saying our team got is kind of annoying. I will do it sometimes, but not often. I usually say, oh, my bloke Trevor, who's in New York, he's great. He worked with me on this. And that will usually be 90% true. Trevor might have made the first half. I should really give him more credit. It's not right. But I won't just pretend like he doesn't bloody exist. It's gross. It's dehumanizing. And people who don't think it's a, a bad thing to spam reporters like they're not humans treat their under people as basically expendable, lifeless husks. They don't understand the poison they are injecting into the world. Wow. That was a that was a gorgeous soliloquy. I'm almost brought to tears because you, it's it's uncommon. You, oh gosh, you just you you went to the corner of that abyss. You almost became one of these people, and you turned away from it virulently. And now let me unpack um, at Easy PR, which is how old? Well, Easy PR was 2012, so uh, six years ish. Six years old, and you started off with four people. How many people do you have now? I started off with one person. I have four people now. And so that humanity, you've been able to keep it and resist the urge to kind of branch off into this, um, you know, uh, partner leverage model where you just bring on editorial assistants and what what is what is the vernacular? Account executives, account yeah. managers. I think the I I just hear so many nauseating stories, especially from women. Yeah, in, in this 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 awful baptism in their uh, you know their first few years out of college in in the city. And one of the problems, Ed, is that. You know, if you're a very literate person and you want to get, you want to use your your English degree or your humanities degree or art history degree in a way that gets you private sector exposure and exposure to executives and maybe bide your time until law school or a graduate program, this industry is always hiring in part because of the massive turnover and the massive levels of, of unsatisfaction. And I, I wouldn't say it's a stretch to call it self-loathing. You get rejected enough 
<laughs> I mean, it, it kind of, it, it's, a, it's a kill or be killed environment. Well, it's partly that. And also, what's annoying is these people never stop, or at least they rarely do, and say, why do I keep getting rejected? That's what confuses me. I don't know why they don't just say, you know what, why is it that this keeps happening? Because I did eventually ask that. I was like, these people seem really, really mad. They seem so pissed off, these journalists. And PR people are like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's because I didn't hit my head against this brick wall hard enough. Hmm, this socket keeps electrocuting me every time I put a fork in it. Maybe the fifth time it will not electrocute me. And but you know, let me let me let me turn it around. Something as basic and 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 it's, it hurts to hear you weren't allowed to leave the office. Yep. That you had to be the the Google Docs person. Something as basic this is before as before Google as, Docs. You know, before Google Docs. Let's say, <laughs> but I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna insult you by saying word perfect. Let's say Microsoft Word. Yeah. Uh, something as basic as going out to lunch with a journalist. Uh, with with your palms open in the way that look, I just want to get a better sense for what you cover. Without that agenda, I'm amazed, frankly, considering the cost and the uh, the 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 ineptitude of kind of spraying and praying press releases and getting rejected. That more people don't embolden young people to take journalists out. Believe me, journalists have self-loathing as well. It's a it's a dying industry. They want to be taken out. They want to be treated to lunch. They they want to make it sound like someone cares about that agenda. I can count on one hand and I can name the people that took the time in my, you know, 15 years as a Wall Street reporter in New York to uh, pay attention to kind of fine tune what actually interested me. That I would take their cold calls. I re- I know it's Tucker Hughes and Howard Monahan at, at Hughes Communication, and I knew when they got in touch, there would never be wasted energy or a wasted meeting in this because they put in the effort, which I don't think was massively costly, to get to truly know me, and. I think it would engender more reciprocity and more respect if if more broad PR firms and companies allowed their young associates to do that, and they just still don't. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just really sad. It is because it is just you talk about people with English degrees. Nah, I disagree. Well, actually, no, I'd agree on one specific level. The college system breaks your brain when it comes to writing in PR. So PR people all write in the same weird intro intro body conclusion manner. They write with this very pained, slow, awful prose that just doesn't read like a human wrote it. And it's so weird. It's so weird. It's so, so weird because you read it and it doesn't read like English. But that, so when I used to write things, I used to send them and I used to get them sent back with grammatical errors and they'd be like, no, this is just how you write. I'm like, I wrote for seven years. I, I, I know how I write. I know how to write. I've done this professionally. I was paid for my words. That's why you hired me. And they go, well, you don't know how to write for PR. And I got in a lot of trouble because I said, like I got a concussion. <laughs> And yeah, that got me in a lot of trouble. I was not, I was not, not well treated for that one. But it's true. It's just they write in this really painful, painful way, which genuinely doesn't make sense. That's why all press releases read the same way, because the lead poisoning in the walls of PR firms has infected all of them. And it doesn't really make sense. 
until you are actually there and you realize that everyone's trying to work out a thing, which nobody actually knows the reality of. No one actually knows the true... No one really knows what they're doing, so everyone's trying to guess. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. We're talking to Ed Zitron, author of Fire Your Publicist, the PR and publicity secrets that will make you and your business famous. He is founder and CEO of Easy PR, and you've seen him as a journalist in, in Inc., uh, on Forbes.com, uh, in various gaming publications. I want to switch you to the bizarro world of LinkedIn, which I poke fun at ad nauseum on my Twitter feed, uh, which I don't even know why I'm on Twitter, but maybe that's for a whole other episode. Uh, I Look, what the heck is the point of LinkedIn in that there's so much bloviation, so much BS corporate speak, people endorsing, I mean, congratulate this person you don't know on their work anniversary. And in the end, Microsoft paid tens of billions of dollars for it. I'm there, but I swear as an address book or as an app to kind of quickly get somebody's email, I don't understand the point of LinkedIn, especially when publicists are telling their clients that you need to be seen as a thought leader on LinkedIn. You need to be seen as an influencer. You need to publish. Um, now you, you need to have your essay sent around on LinkedIn. Does it have any value to you? What's the deal with LinkedIn? Okay, so it's there is a value when you're part of a particular industry. So salespeople really love LinkedIn. They do a lot of aggressive outreach on LinkedIn. But that's kind of the weird thing. It's turned into this sales channel. And there is really good engagement around really weird people. So really just insane people, truly crazy people, people that you read and you're like, these people are like three or four days from their first victim. And they all have names. They all have names on Twitter like at Bob or marketing <laughs> right, right. genius and they all are saying nothing and they do those great linkedin poetry things that katie Natopoulos wrote up on buzzfeed this guy sure. the kind of weird link linkedin poetry was like i ate it i ate bro broetry it's called broetry yeah i ate some burgers today and i thought about how you make a burger and how it's like making a business did you make a burger so today true. <laughs> and it's it is like reading the Zodiac Killer's letters. It's truly terrifying when you read them. But there is a, like the sales industry and the SDRs and account executives and sales. There is some value there. But for most people, it is truly terrifying. When you see the people who get all the engagement on LinkedIn, you're like, oh, God, this is just a serial killer social network. <laughs> This is just the future, and then to see, and then to see them, to see them on Twitter. Uh, you don't know this person. He's you know connecting to you on Twitter. He put a post. He has uh, six hundred thousand followers. He follows two million people. He's a Forbes Power Thirty influencer, top ten lead generator. I mean, it's it's this entire world of of. Uh, Self-aggrandizement and self-designated. I mean, he could just be a guy who has no portfolio whatsoever. We just had this New York Times piece on people acquiring Twitter followers. Um, I am amazed. I mean, if I could go back 10, 15, 20 years and look at this future where we all, you know, share these platitudes on LinkedIn and, and best practices and these GIFs and, you know, Uber is the biggest, uh, you know, car rental company, you know, taxi company in the world, but it has no cars. If I if I see that meme one more time, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, so there's this, no, there, just to stop you for a it's, second. It's constant. It's constant. And they keep blasting you with it. And increasingly, they cross-pollinate Twitter and LinkedIn. And I don't understand what value, what is the ultimate payoff to these people? 
Yeah, that's what really gets me as well. There's this guy called Valor Afshar, who I'm sure is a lovely guy. Yes. But I want yes. to take his Twitter account. I want to put him and it, and I want to attach iron to it. And I want to push it and put it into the middle of the sea, where it belongs. <laughs> so this guy, he does like he does these blood curdling memes. Like we, I know they're like where the pe- successful people don't hold grudges. The you know, bollocks. Uber doesn't have inventory. Well, Airbnb doesn't have rooms. But also, look and he at kind this. of he, he, he's put up this one. We are all immigrants. Your car is German. Your vodka is Russian, your pizza is Italian, your kebab is Turkish, your democ- <laughs> democracy is Greek, your coffee is Brazilian, your movies are American, your tea is Tamil, your shirt is Indian, blah, 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 blah. Okay. <laughs> I hate it when I can look at something within the first four or five things, I can say, okay, factual error. Your car is German, maybe. Where is it made? Probably not Germany. Your vodka is Russian, but probably made in America. Your pizza is Italian, but again, made in America. Your kebab... But Ed, you see you see stuff like that, and you have to admit, it's irresistible to kind of share it up to a current no, point. Like, wow, Unless I'm that sharing is it deep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move that onto my Facebook Listen and to this, wow though. people. And Vala Afshar, I don't know, but I, I, I know exactly... Like, who, what, what, what... Have we looked into kind of what the motivation is for him? Is there a lead generation? Is he a banker? Is he a consultant who's... He works with Salesforce. He's chief digital evangelist at Salesforce. So... Whoa. So I don't understand. Is he's deputized by Mark Benioff? What's his job? To kind of go out and spread I don't know. I don't know. Well, I've I, met I should Mark I should Benioff reach and he's him lovely. Comment. He's a genuinely smart, compassionate person. Really well read. I don't know how this bloke got in. I think he just wears <laughs> his tweets. But listen to this. Dear CEO, business transformation starts with culture, people, process, strategy, and lastly, technology. Okay, well, what? First of all, that doesn't actually mean anything. A lot of these things, if you truly think about them, do not mean anything. Business transformation, what's that? What is is that? I don't know but what that I'll is. But I tell you, I, I, I step back from it and wonder that in, uh, you know, with Pink Floyd talk about, uh, you know, silent desperation is the English way and men leading lives of silent desperation. If you have a place to go to in the boredom and misery of your work and you see a lot of people dropping the same vernacular, maybe in a weird atavistic way, Ed, it makes us kind of feel like we're not alone. Maybe if Vala Afshar and, you know, James Altucher, who we had on the show and various other people keep dropping the same things, it's kind of like a, uh, I'm not alone in suffering in in abject isolation in my cubicle. Yes, that's actually very accurate. It is very much a case of, well, I want to add something to it. I don't think it's atavism, word I have not used in quite a while. So I think it. I don't even know what it means. I just wanted to I use it. It was maybe, uh, no. reverting to a former culture. Anyway, regardless, what I think it is is true desperation, like you said. It is truly. People who have realized, and this gets back to PR, their lives, they realize, lack real meaning. What you are doing in PR every day, and probably sales and marketing, is a lot of, if you really boil it down, and this kind of, I guess it's reductionism, maybe, I don't know. It, when you just boil things down to their component tasks, they nothing sounds impressive. But, realistically, PR people, marketing people, a lot of people, are just typing emails and typing documents. That's really it. Sometimes they do phone calls. And if you take it up to the higher level of actual tasks and execution, you're still really writing emails and getting people to put stuff on the internet. Now, if you're very good at it, you get people to put a lot of stuff and very well-known and well-read people to put stuff on their internet. And it's really weird because I think these people have kind of realized that. 
But then they turn to themselves and they say, oh crap, what do I do here? What do I do? Like, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing? This job is stupid. And the truth is they're making a good wage doing it. Now, that's usually how I put myself to bed at night. I'm not hurting anyone and I'm making good money. That's a good, fine way to live. I'm not doing the PR hate for money, but I'm not doing this job. If someone said, okay, your job now pays $15 an hour, I would say, okay, new job time. I'm going to do something else. This is not the job for me. Ed, Ed, one of the droves of, of disenfranchised journalists who are, you know, the, the, the shit can media elites who are coming out and saying, I'm not a PR person, I'm a storyteller. What do you make of that? How has that not been called out as a cliche? Oh, I've called it out as a cliche multiple times because it's complete wank. You are not a storyteller. You are a you are a mother bird regurgitating information. You are chewing it up and making it easier to swallow. And you are taking that information and saying, hey, journalist, do you like this enough to look at it more than what I've said and then write about it? That's oh, it. man, I love you. I wish I wish I had money to hire you. I wish I I, 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 I wish I had a reason for look, I'm out there floating in the ether. I have this I have this podcast. I had a book that came out and I had to depend on the publishers, PR people. I do my own work. There's a lot of hustle in it, but I feel like you're 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 a kindred spirit. You're that person who's been on both sides of the fence. You've you've felt the misery of being chewed out as a PR underling and now you've Come back from the dark side to the brighter side where you could be self-reflective. And to that end, um, as I told you when I when I invited you on, I loved your book, Fire Your Publicist. It's your second book, right? Yeah. And the the cherry on top in your conclusion, if if I may read Please. it. If my last book if my last book was a letter I wanted to send back in time to my younger self, this book is what I want to hand to anyone who wants to understand public relations in its present form. That doesn't mean it's a textbook or an explanation of everything that could possibly happen in the industry. Most PR firms fall flat on their face when asked to do this kind of work. Hopefully I've given you the tools required to succeed. If you're an agency person who simply doesn't want to be good and who wants to continue to regrow the industry scabs of bad PR, I am coming for you. You aren't part of a dying breed yet, but if I have anything to do with it, you will be. Finally, if you read it this, finally, if you read this and felt a pang of sadness knowing that you've been had, I'm sorry. Whoever you are, I hope you learned something from this. The world could use more people who understand that being popular doesn't mean being a liar, that being famous doesn't mean crushing others on the way to the top, and that being a public figure doesn't require a lot of nonsense. If you ever want to talk, here's my email. Um, yeah. From an introspection point of view, you don't get that kind of candor in public relations. In fact, you know, many people just reflexively say you're a thorn in the side of the industry. It's your shtick. It's your gimmick to kind of self-loathe and self-hate. And in the end, you're doing what they do. It's much easier to say, I mean, take it out of professionalism. Ethan. When someone has done something wrong or when someone is saying something that's true but very hard to process, it's easier to just say... Ah, screw it. This guy's just a nut job. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but that guy, what's his name? Dr. Doom. I can never remember his real name, but the financier who effectively... Nuria, Nuria Rubini. Of course, it could only be a fungus. But <laughs> Nuria Rubini or Nassim Taleb? Nassim Taleb? Mm, I think it's Nassim Taleb, but nevertheless... Yes. He predicted the financial crisis, effectively. I'm Nuria Rubini. It's not a green shoot, it's a fungus. Go ahead. Love the accent. I, I, we're just going to get into slightly weird accents now. But he predicted the financial crisis and went on stage, I think at Davos, but maybe I'm wrong. And he said, okay, so 
I think this is going to happen. And then everyone just went, <laughs> yes, is Dr. Doom's at it again. And so they all went back to their multi-million dollar homes that they'd got with zero dollars down with 15% interest or 40% interest, depending on who you ask. And they then snickered at him until the actual financial crisis happened. And then everyone went, uh-oh. I'm not equating myself with a very smart and well-read person, neither of which I am. But basically, I am saying things that have been apparent for 15, 20 years. These are things that, with the advent of email, have become more alarmingly possible. And people don't want to face this idea that, for example, very simple thing. I have had more people attack me over saying that you shouldn't cold call people than anything else I've said. And I truly believe it's because either they're just a horrible person that doesn't care, or deep down they realize it's sociopathic. Who would call someone? Who would call someone and see a giant body of work which says, please don't call me? Hundreds of journalists have said it. They'd see that and go, well, I should call them because it's the thing to do. No, why would they not say, oh, this is assault. It is assault. It is the legal definition of assault. Doing something to someone forcefully that they have specifically asked you not to do and that is widely held as weird. If you take it out of PR, oh, I'm going to cold call this random person because I want something from them. I don't know them. I follow them on Twitter. No, you'd absolutely get the reaction of, oh, no, that, that's incredibly horrible. Don't do that. And that's the thing. It's There are so many sociopathic elements that when you start talking about any of them, it all comes down. When you start saying it's not good to form pitch, you are stabbing at the very basic tenets of most of these bad agencies. So, of course they're going to get mad. Because if they didn't form pitch, they'd have to either learn or they'd have to fire these underlings that they just give a half-assed pitch to and spam, and then they go, ah, oh, it didn't work out. Sorry, client. Thanks for the money. And it's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely well, nuts. Well, Ed, Ed I, can, I congratulate you on having the courage of your convictions and being on the cusp of what I think the PR industry will inevitably have to morph into is people stop kicking and screaming and realizing that you don't spray and pray, you don't call, call, you don't be a, you don't wear your sociopathy on your, on your sleeve. Uh, I predict we'll look back and when your firm has 50 people, yeah, <laughs> you'll say, I told you so. <laughs> I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> Ed Zitron joining us from San Francisco. He's the founder and CEO of EasyPR. He is a public relations iconoclast, a thought leader, a thinkfluencer, author of a really great book, which I asked for. No one paid me for this. I didn't subscribe I to it. any sort of link. To it. You did pay, and I should send you a, a Venmo link for oh, it. But it's, it's a great book, and I'm going to covet it. Fire Your Publicist, the PR and publicity secrets that will make you and your business famous. I thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. You can enjoy this fine show on NPR One and on iTunes at FullDRadio.com. On Twitter, we are at FullDRadio. On Facebook.com slash FullDRadio, I also tend to spew a lot of BS on LinkedIn from time to time if I feel the muse. Holler, by the way, if you'd like to sponsor. Uh, dear journalist, I am just checking in to follow up on my three emails to you. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week. <laughs>